Hi, I'm Daniel Spears. And I'm James Suazo. And you're listening to Long Beach Cheese May, a podcast presented in collaboration with Forth.org. This tea, this cup of tea right here is too hot to handle. To handle. To handle. Oh, wow. I'm excited. Oh, that, oh I missed that. The Wait, cup what? has a handle, too. Oh, oh it's all of it's hot. <laughs> What's the bit? Oh, I know. That was the bit. Okay, I got it. It's fine. It's fine. Happy LGBTQ History Month. Oh, damn, we, we get another different, we do. different, more different month. We said Pride season, you know, we start in Long Beach, we start Pride season in May, yeah. and then it really is like June, but then this year Pride, Long Beach Pride was in August, yeah. and we were like, that is still not enough. It's October, not enough. here we go. We need to look back <laughs> and look at all the things we did. Exactly. Lord knows I don't remember them. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> what is special about this October being LGBTQ Pride Month is we also have just passed the 55th anniversary mm-hmm. of a really interesting story um, that I found a lot of people don't know about, especially in like L.A., um, and Long Beach history, and let alone like the overarching history of like the gay rights movement. Fifty-five years ago, the invention of poppers. Is um, it really, the first cuckold. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you got me. I was like, we should. Look I'm that just throwing up. out guesses. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so let me give you a little bit about what we're actually going to talk about today. So, okay, on a hot night in the middle of August 1968, undercover LAPD officers infiltrated a gay and lesbian bar in Wilmington called the Patch where about 250 people were partying. Two men that night, uh, one night, were arrested and thrown in jail for, quote, lewd conduct, end quote. And this was almost a year before Stonewall, um, and police and politicians in the L.A. area maintained a system of state-sanctioned oppression of LGBTQ people. So police commonly raided gay and lesbian bars and beat patrons, and those arrested for loosely defined, again, quote, lewd conduct, end Mm. quote, Mm. could end up in prison for decades. But on this particular night, Lee Glaze, the owner of the patch and a Long Beach resident, decided that he had had enough. He jumped on stage, grabbed a mic, and called out to the crowd, It is not against the law to be a homosexual, and it's not a crime to be in a gay bar. And with that, Glaze organized some of the patrons to march over to the police station Uh in the early morning hours with arms full of flowers and demand that jailed men be freed on bail. Oh, shit. It's a really cool story. That's kind of dope. Yeah. So (laughs) Damn. And the cops were like, okay. They were like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, faggots, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. They so today we're going to talk about the sometimes forgotten patch bar flower power protests, and it's God. important to the gay liberation movement as a precursor to Stonewall, oh, which you know, gay liberation. We often think of Stonewall yeah. in New York and that amazing history, but this all literally happened before Stonewall. So, Shit. yeah, pretty wild. Yeah. So, I to mean, really, the '60s are a historically big moment for civil rights in general. A lot of stuff popping up. A lot of stuff happening. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I. I feel like we need somebody who's old enough to have been there uh, on the pod today. I don't know if you've had, have anybody like that. You know, luckily, I, in? I I went to my time machine and was able to <laughs> go venture back. Oh, and, wow. uh, I brought back a guest, a guest to the pod again. So oh, we're really yeah. excited to have Philip Zonkel with Q Voice News join us again. What's up, Philip? Hey, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I missed the time machine part, but yeah, I'm happy yeah. here to talk about it. Yeah. 
<laughs> that part's not that interesting. We just want you here for gay stuff. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're like, who is the foremost historical opinion on gay stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Philip Zonkel. Philip Zonkel. <laughs> Which, hey, by the way, congrats on all of the coverage that's happened since the last time you were here mm. to talk about um, the uh, LBPD sting. Yeah. The uh, targeting stings. gay men in the bathroom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Thanks. You've got some new columns. How's, how's the publishing world been? Since how's Q Voice News? It's exciting. You know, we're always breaking stories that none of the mainstream media are covering, including mm. the mainstream media in Long Beach, mm. which uh, continues to treat the gay community like Kevin's we're... right here. <laughs> <laughs> Get into it. <laughs> I love journalism beef. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like, I'm a carnivore for it. <laughs> well, it's great. I really appreciate you coming back to talk to us about sure. more history. This is, I'm really excited this because you cover the patch and the flower power protests a couple times and you've actually like interviewed a lot of the folks who were involved in this too whoa yeah i interviewed lee glaze a couple times i mean years ago uh, before he passed away interviewed him a few times and he was a character very colorful character gregarious great stories interesting guy Mm -hmm. can you give us a lot of words to say gay yeah (laughs) jesus So let's kind of jump into it and uh, set some context here, right? So um, just as I mentioned, you know, the Patch was a gay and lesbian bar in Wilmington that was owned and managed by Lee Glaze, who was a Long Beach resident at the time. Mm. Um, just as as uh, Philip mentioned, gay Glaze, 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 <laughs> one letter off, right? Gay Glaze, 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 Glaze. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Gay Glaze, Gay Glaze. Glaze um, had boyish looks and blonde hair who earned him the earned him the nickname the Blonde Darling, and he was a prominent gay liberation activist in Southern California. So we're going to talk a little bit about his story. Okay, that's dope. But, you know, I think it's important talking about this because the patch and its clientele often faced harassment and a lot of violence from local homophobes. I love that description, by the way. Like, leave it to gays to be like, first off, I'm cute. Second, I'm an activist. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> work, right? Yeah, 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 honestly. More of that. More of that confidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like I said, patch and clientele faced a lot of harassment prior to the arrests on the night of the protests, there was an article in um, The Advocate, which is an LGBTQ newspaper that described an assault that left one of the patrons there uh, very bloody. And they talked about this campaign of harassment carried on by local teenage punks that cruised the area, but then also police's refusal to actually do anything about Mm, it, right? And so I think this really mirrors a lot of what we talked about previously in this long history, even like with the targeting of gay men by law enforcement, right? And it's not just the act of targeting, but also then the refusal to actually do anything about sure. any crimes that are happening against um, gay men, LGBTQ folks in general, right? Mm. So, you know, and LA at the time was seen as a paradise for queer people in the post-war era compared to places like the Midwest and the South. Mm. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't like a lot of state-sanctioned oppression of LGBTQ people, right? Yeah. Um, I imagine, especially not in the 60s too. Yeah. In California. Yeah. What was that time like? <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> you this time machine. And that was a All shot right. at me earlier. Sorry, we, we have a, that was a shot you took at me. We're doing we're doing bets right now to see how many Philip's uncle is old jokes we can get in by the end of the pod. So oh, we're just doing ha- I'm game. I'm yeah. game. Yeah. It'll come back to haunt me later, but yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. I'm willing to put up with it. You're a good sport. Yeah. Um, we have you on twice, okay? I have to go <laughs> now. Goodbye. <laughs> good luck with your podcast. Oh, man. So thinking about the context of this time, right, in the 60s, being gay and or lesbian was criminalized, right? Yeah. Oral and anal sex remained felonies in California until 1975. 
believe Oof. it or not. No, that's, yeah. So, you know, an arrest for one act of oral sex could easily land a man in prison for a term of five years, even with a 10-year oh, sentence damn. for sodomy. Damn. Yeah. 10 um, years? 10 years. I, I don't know why I'm surprised. And it's speaking of, if more than one act was demonstrated, then that sentence could multiply, right? Um, Damn. And in 1950 alone- Imagine Cali- bragging. You're like, dude, I got 20 years. Oh, <laughs> I don't think you're bragging about that. guy that. got 60 years. Holy shit. Damn. I don't think you're about that in prison. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Just trying to lighten the mood. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I love talking about Keeping that. Keeping it light. Keeping it light. Ooh, yeah. ah. um, well, anyway, I was about to say, speaking of, you know who loved that is the California legislature, because in mm. 1950, um, the California legislature doubled the prison term for a sodomy conviction to 20 years. Jesus. So, yeah, you okay. know, go um, vote blue no matter who, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I guess at the time in 1950, it was pre-Lyndon pre, uh, B. Johnson, the Democrat yes. Republicans were very different. That's yeah. true. Anyway. This is true. Um, I know some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All this to say, right, that the arrests could lead to a real damning future for people, right, if you mm-hmm. get these on your records. Mm-hmm. And, you know, homosexuality was so stigmatized by society that um, gays and lesbians at the time found refuge in bars, which became the primary public gathering sites in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I think, like, it's impossible even now, really, to talk about, like, you know, obviously... LGBTQ culture and so much happens like and it's so much more prolific everywhere. But right. bars play a huge history in that too. Yeah, right? I mean even to now. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those kind of like queer spaces too, right? Yeah. And so you know, police commonly raided gay and lesbian bars and arrested patrons for what they call lewd and lascivious conduct. Is how gay and lesbian people were often arrested and defiantly charged. So they gave police wide discretion to harass and jail queer people for things just as like dancing with each other. Right. Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, and then I think also the political angle of this is like historians have often pointed out that opportunistic politicians supported police uh, departments, intimidation and harassment of queers because the crackdowns were seen as like electoral gold. Right. And I think that's, you know, it mirrors like this whole tough on crime approach. Yeah. We had talked about it last time is, hey, you know, you go after and capture these people who are de- social deviants and that looks good at the polls. Right. Yeah. So you don't see that at all anymore. Right. Yeah. Not at all. Never. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're past that. Yeah. Uh, Maybe yesterday. Maybe. <laughs> Probably tomorrow also. So before we actually jump into storytelling about the patch, I think it's also important to talk about some of the early, even the year before all of the patch went down, mm. how some of the gay liberation movement in LA kind of got started, especially with the Black Cat. Can you tell us a little bit about the Black Cat? So the Black Cat was this bar in in Silver Lake. It still exists today. The building is a historic cultural monument designated by the city of Los Angeles. Didn't it like just become that too? No, that was the state of California recognized it as a California landmark. So the city itself did, now the state did. And you probably read that on Q Voice News, right? Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. Q Voice News. Q Voice News. Not on TikTok. I saw it on Q Voice News. So it was this gay bar in Silver Lake, and in December 31st of 1966, they're having a New Year's Eve celebration, and right when the clock struck midnight for January 1st, as the balloons were dropping and people were celebrating and hugging and kissing, 
Cops burst in and tore down the decorations, beat up a bunch of people, arrested 16 people. Mm -hmm. They arrested, okay. I mean, they were actually, they were beating up people, terrorizing people. It was awful. I mean, it was just, it was a disgusting, flagrant abuse of power. Mm. Uh, What's interesting about it, though, is about six weeks later, the community got together and had a protest outside the Black Cat to protest the police brutality, the police harassment, the police terrorism. Mm. Uh, What was interesting about it, though, is if you see photos from the protest, the picket signs, mm-hmm. folks were carrying nowhere on there does it say anything about gay or lesbian. It says, stop police harassment. Gay is not mentioned anywhere, which mm. was actually on purpose yeah. because a bunch of the folks that were protesting, they were concerned that the media was going to be there and cover it. And if pictures were in the paper, you know, the following day yeah. or a week or whatever, people would get fired from their jobs right. or they could. So uh. it was it was done out in the open, but it was kind of concealed in a way that it was an open protest, but kind of hidden in terms yeah. of what the real agenda was. But according to published reports at the time, between five and 600 people attended the protest, which was wow. huge for the time and is considered, I believe, That's one of now. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's I think considered one of the largest and one of the earliest protests with that many people, Mm. organized protests against Mm. police oppression and police attacks on the gay community. Mm. Actually, one of the groups that put it together was, uh, it was called Pride, Personal Rights in Defense and Education. And so there's some discussion if the term Pride had some kind of genesis or early beginnings in Los Angeles and, mm. you know, where mm. the term gay pride came from. Oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. There's an article on Q Voice News about that also. Oh, um, <laughs> 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 okay, product placement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. We love it. Right. Don't type machine required. Just, you know, Google and, you know, anyway. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, there you go. Yeah, go my here. note to add it to the show notes. This, mm-hmm. It was a really historic event. I mean, it was, and this, keep in mind, this is 66, 67, no social media. So people were using right. phone trees back at the time, so, yeah. which means one person would call 10 friends and those 10 people would call 10 people yeah kind of, and and that's how people organized and and it's got very together. by very bye bye birdie um whatever that means i don't know but okay you never seen bye bye birdie i have a telephone song where they're like calling each other talking about oh like oh my god we're going i'm not a musical now. theater gay <sighs> you know this. leave me on the I'm not that old, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye birdie i'm the one who came from the time machine <laughs> 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 It's I, also worth mentioning that the protest, nobody, um, fortunately, nobody was attacked by the police. The police didn't beat anybody up this time. Mm. And it was, a, it was a peaceful protest. I mean, meaning there was no violence, right. nothing violent yeah. happened, which yeah. was refreshing considering the times and considering what happened six weeks previously yeah, right. during um, the New Year's Eve, New Year's Day celebration. Mm. And that happened just about a year and a half before yeah, the patch. So, yeah. I mean, these events and are- And then two years before Stonewall. Two years before Stonewall. They're not, they're not related, meaning, you know, there were no groups that were associated with both. Right, but, right. you know, historically they are connected because, you know, history has this interesting way of events kind of feed on each other and influence other events yeah, um, yeah. and things like that. So, but it's, it's great for LA. And it also is important that it puts LA on the gay history map before New York City and Stonewall. And mm. so many people don't understand or realize mm. that, you know, Long Beach also is on the gay history map before yeah. Stonewall. That's right. huge. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's gargantuan. That's, yeah. you know, Gabby Hayes big. Well, none of the acres reference. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> now who's dating who? All right. <laughs> it's in reruns. <laughs> I know that, uh, I, I mean, nothing happens in the vacuum, right? When we talk about it, it, struggles about all civil rights movements, mm. there's, it's never, we, I think America likes to point to like individuals or moments or like this is the key point, but it's always like it's a wave. It's there a was crest. a buildup. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's collectivism. It's, yeah. it's movement. That's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. I was, 
ruminating on the fact that like it's trippy to see that this was like 600 people not even talking about like in their signs or in the message about like gay lgbtq like it was mm-hmm. all focused on like the police harassment and brutality mm-hmm. which is really interesting because like, i feel like now you know in broader mainstream like mm-hmm. lgbtq protests that happen now there is a real trepidation i think sometimes and there's real tension right around like you know cops at pride and like yeah. the role of police and and there are movements mainstream movements of lgbtq rights where it's like but the police have assimilated and where yeah. they're good now right wasn't and that on the so... cover of a magazine recently oh yeah this, yeah was it? we the went f- to hot java the other day oh, and the, the latest fight magazine has uh two cops on the cover have you seen it i haven't what are they doing kissing or something or what? Just aren't there, they like, husbands or something? I posted that on my Instagram and yeah. like all half my followers, all y'all are they're like, they're all like, this is like a porn. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where's y'all the fireman? Yeah. Right to jail. Right okay. to jail for all of y'all. <laughs> so, you know, if you're listening, you know who you are. That's what I'm saying though. There's this like assimilation aspect to a lot of pride now where it's kind of like, hey, well, well let's play nice so yeah. we can get the, we can become the homogenized right. thing, you know? I think some people also just don't know the history of the police connection with the gay community, yeah. how mm. acrimonious it's been. And really, I mean, let's let's be honest. It's still <laughs> Until is, 2015, right? Our last episode <laughs> well, we talked wow. about. Let's, let's, it's still acrimonious today. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of lip service paid, you know, locally and otherwhere. We have this great relationship. No, you don't. You know. No, you don't. You don't have a great relationship. Because if you did, there are specific things that wouldn't be happening that currently are. And there are specific things you would be doing that you're not. So, mm, I mean, right. let's be real. I mean, you kind of, you know, pat us on the head and say, oh, you're so... No-, but you really still think we're disgusting and don't yeah. like us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, yeah. just to, to add to that, I mean, <laughs> in... Uh, <laughs> All right. (laughs) In December, there was this town hall meeting I went to and the chief of police was there and I approached him because, you know, the Long Beach police has refused to publicly apologize for all this awful treatment they did for decades to the gay community. Right. And when I approached the chief, introduced myself and he knew immediately who I was, which was interesting Mm. because I've never met him before. Mm. And so I thought, okay, I know what this kind of means. And he said, oh, I know why you're here. And I'm like, really, what's that? He goes, you want an apology? And I said, no, I'm just going to ask you why you haven't given an apology. Yeah. And he gave me this kind of, you know, prepared kind of answer, but we treat everybody equally, this and that. And he's like, I hope I answered your question. I said, no, actually you didn't. <laughs> and he got really antagonistic really fast. And A cop he, antagonistic? I know, right? To a reporter at a public <laughs> event. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And he did this hand signal with me as he was talking. He said, and this is over. And, what a queen. Yeah. For those listening, uh, Philip took his index fingers, crossed them, and then did a nice little gay little swipe in the opposite direction. I don't know if that's and, and then yeah. he sashayed away. And sashayed away. And this <laughs> is over. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't talk to me because this was an event for the public, which mm. I guess he forgot that the media is part of the public. Mm. I'm also a resident of the neighborhood, so I'm part of the public. Yeah. Um, and just that if you want to get an interview and talk with me, call our media relations people and set it up, which means they can then prepare an answer and get all prepared yeah. and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Right. So he was definitely not having it. So there you go. Yeah. I love it. So now we have some context as to what the time was like in the 60s, especially for LGBTQ folks. And let's get into talking about our little bar in Wilmington called The Patch. So The Patch is, as we mentioned, a bar in Wilmington that opened on April 7th, 1968. Okay. Um, the Patch uh, opened its doors in the former quarters of a straight club called The Plush Bunny over on Pacific <laughs> Coast Highway. 
Okay. So, yeah, I know. I was like, <laughs> that's I, a straight club, huh? Yeah, yeah, like maybe straight in air quotes. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, which is funny. I felt like if you told me there's a bar called the Patch and a bar <laughs> called the Plush Bunny, I would go the to the gay Plush bar Bunny. Is the Plush yeah, Bunny? Yeah, that's where I would want to go. Right. So, just based on name. Just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this was a, a bar on Pacific Coast Highway in Wilmington, um, and it rapidly became one of the most popular gay nightclubs in the LA area. And one of the main reasons was because of the live music and the fact that the management allowed men to. To dance with men. Um, Although, you know, there is no actual physical contact in the current popular dancing, right? Because there's Mm. all these, you know, things that you can't do, right? Homosexuality is illegal, Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. So it quickly becomes very popular among homosexuals. And a lot of people don't like that, as you can imagine. Yeah. So it wasn't soon that the owners and Lee Glaze was called to the police commission and agreed to several demands of the commission. So here is what the commission said, that if you want to continue operating, here is what you have to abide by. Mm-hmm. First, no minors. So the club's license allows allowed minors to enter, but that was a clear, you can't have any minors in gotcha. here. Okay, well, it's a they serve alcohol there, I'm assuming, and stuff. I'm assuming. So. Okay. It was a bar. Yeah, sure. I don't know okay. why they... The non-minor thing can yeah, okay. they don't get that. Okay. Oh, it gets worse. Okay. No, no, no. I'll nope. so, I'm going to review. I'm going to take these in one at a time. Okay. Let me go. Okay. Go number ahead. two. Okay. No drag. Aww. No drag queens. What? No drag performances. What? None of that. What if you just... Hmm. Number Do they th- define drag? Is that... <laughs> That's actually a good question. I, yeah. I, that would, I'd be really curious what their, what know. their definition of drag is. Oh, also, how it compares. Like I've seen it, and now, like we're now in this new era where yeah. we're now doing this shit again, yeah, right? Yeah, Outlawing yeah. drag, yeah, and establishment. So, all right, and keep, I don't know. Yeah, keep going. Uh, third, no groping. Oh, no, <laughs> that one. Okay, sure. I'll sure. Four. Okay. N- only uh, one person at a time in the restrooms. Oh, oh, which I, I okay, yeah. I mean, okay. you know, that sucks. For a club. Among us. That sucks for a club, but I also, yeah, yeah. I I see what they're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And so the, the main demand here was no male on male dancing. What? Which was like their big sticking point. That's right? a huge. So, I mean, obviously, this isn't just of like you're, you know, doing illegal things. Right. It was also just like it's very clear an intention. We're trying to harass yeah. and hamper. Yeah. LGBTQ patrons. Yeah. So you know, business dropped off quickly as soon as the no male on male dancing went into effect. Yeah. It's so a huge... in self defense, the club resumed its former policy and allowed dancing. Sure. So this was called to the police commission again, and the patch vowed to take the dancing issue all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court if the police attempted to actually revoke their license. And uh, there is a uh, when they reported on this at the time, one of the police commissioner's staff asked if the patch could afford such a financial burden to actually take this all the way to the Supreme Court. Mm. Um, and the the patch owner at the time replied, "Damn right." <laughs> Good for him. Good for him. Like, Love a rich is that queen. actually true? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, Maybe. Knows? Like, I don't know how the bar. I mean, been. I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like Lee Glaze. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. So, you know, this added to this campaign of harassment was, as I kind of mentioned before, a lot of local teenage punks who cruised the area, would hang out at nearby hamburger joints, and they would harass um, not only like the bar patrons, but, yeah. you know, anybody else coming by associated mm. with the establishment. And, you know, oftentimes Lee Glaze would call the cops, but they would fail to do anything about it. They wouldn't, you know, they would turn a blind eye to it. And they didn't really care to actually stop them or do anything to actually protect the patrons there, right? Mm. 
it wasn't just the cops and it wasn't just the teenagers who would harass the bar a lot. To try and create some understanding, Lee would often like go on the proactive offensive to try and like save the reputation of the bar, right? Oh. So he once gave an interview to a Long Beach journalist named George Robeson. Okay. His column called The Queen Insists on a Place of Our Own. Factual for the most part, but talked about the condescending and snide tone that, you know, people often had about the activities of homosexuals. Yeah. Um, and that column ended up attracting the attention of the Parent Teachers Association. Uh-oh. Jeez. <laughs> Who then, the PTA, started circulating petitions um, to try and have the patch closed for good. Oh, God. Which, you know, that's, you know, and I think that's like often, yeah. I've heard that even in modern times of like, oh, gay stuff is happening. We can't have that close to children or to schools. Exactly. And it's just, oh, yeah. it's an old trope, you know. It's still happening. I mean, Florida's banning drag queens and stuff, right? And we have all these politicians. Anyway. Oh, Don't right. forget that that was in many instances for those lewd conduct false arrest by the police. They would always reference children nearby or a school Ooh, nearby right. and the judge called them out on that being homophobic and yeah. treating gay people as if they're pedophiles. Right. Yeah. So right. it's kind of been the same template for years and years. Right. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. And so, you know, at the time, the the commission knew that the patch had resumed the dancing, the male-on-male dancing, but, you know, they hadn't really chosen to press the issue. But now that the PTA was collecting enough signatures to try and present petitions at the commission, you know, they were forced to act and eventually wanted to hold a hearing to try and yank the club's entertainment license or even just try and put them out of business entirely, mm-hmm. right? And they knew, like, this is going to be a long legal battle. Yeah. So there was just this, this history already, right, of this harassment right. and trying to go after the bar to get them shut down. Am I the only person when I hear him say male and male dancing, I'm thinking like strippers or something sexual as opposed to just to guys dancing? I think that too. I'm just reading what the, the man put in front of me. The word is in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Gay dancing. I mean, male and, I just, I think just same sex dancing. Male or guys male. dancing. Yeah. Guys dancing. I just dancing. when I think of male and male, I'm thinking Gay like. Stuff. Gotcha. That's the legality. The it's legal like term a, they're using in the, yeah. <laughs> Rubbing my hands together in front of the mic. Yeah, male on male dancing. <laughs> male on male, male dancing, on dancing yeah. sounds like uh, harder than it. You know, it sounds. Oh, I imagine yeah, that's I mean, what they. Yeah, well, that's what they're male using on in male. legal. That's how they. Yeah, that's the legalese for it. Right. right. That they use back. That's when what. That's what they just were trying people. to make it sound worse than it was. Yeah. 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 Male on male dancing. I just want the listener to think. As far as I yeah. know, it's just two guys can't dance together. I mean, they freaked out if two guys were just dancing. Yeah. I don't know. I was at the club the other night, and at one a.m., you see a lot of raunchy male on male dancing. <laughs> That yeah, but right. <laughs> that don't look right. Male on male dancing. <laughs> we is, have too many rights. I mean, we can we can even <laughs> Jesus. We can even back say in the yeah, yeah, get back in there. Um, I mean, are for homosexuals, right? We can even say that male on male dancing is such a broad term that it can mean two guys dancing near each other, or it can mean guys like hugging and kissing, right? Like that's so broad that like, right? It just gives the cop any excuse, any reason to to break it up or to whatever they're gonna do, right? Right. I'm more curious what the bathroom setup was like in the patch, right? I don't know. That sounds so annoying. Wait, really? (laughs) Well, no. If it's like a one person at a time thing, and you're waiting in line. And it's like one person but goes in the bathroom. Ten people can fit in there. It's like you're gonna. It's gonna take ten yeah. times as long. That's oh, what yeah, I mean by I guess, annoying. Oh, yeah. I was thinking more of just like if you actually wanted to have sex in the bathroom. Well, I guess oh, yeah. If you they had may to have actually, been alluding to that. Yeah. But I was thinking the other way. I like, mean, that's oh. annoying too. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not included. Yeah, but if I just have to pee, it's yeah, <laughs> right. very cute that you were both like, yeah, how are you gonna pee? And I was like, how are you gonna fuck? <laughs> 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 Multiple priorities over here. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you need to pee or fuck, it's annoying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in 
So all of this comes to a head. All of the harassment, this target harassment against the patch comes to a head at a peak on Saturday, August 17th, 1968. Mm. So literally just a few months after opening. This is when the Los Angeles police decided to join others who had been waging the small war against the club patrons. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this was a big pivotal moment where uh, there was, the bar was packed with patrons, you know, people having a great time, enjoying their fun. You know, one of the things that um, Lee would do because there were constantly cops coming in and, Mm -hmm. you know, they would harass people. He had a trick that he would say, and he would play music when undercover cops would come in because he knew who the undercover cops were so he would play god save the queen (laughs) and that's how people knew that hey stop the gay stuff yeah there are undercover cops here now i love that that's sick yeah yeah so um (laughs) that didn't throw anybody off when you're going it's 1968 so you're probably playing i don't know some like psychedelic music or something or like some cool like rock and roll and then you play or whatever God Save the Queen is. Right, right. (laughs) Dance floor. (laughs) Stiffens. (laughs) So, you know, the clubs pop in with about 250 customers that night um, and in the crowd Lee had spotted a couple of of undercover cops um, and so he goes to the stage to deliver one of his frequent and funny monologues Mm -hmm. about the things that are going on um, and he ends up like actually taunting the LAPD officers for sending such, quote, homely vice officers. <laughs> um, so, you know, everybody got a kick out of it. They sure. all thought it was really funny. Sure. Um, you know, so people are having a good time. They're drinking. They're, you know, doing every, doing their mail-on-mail dancing. Mail-on-mail dancing. <laughs> on the dance floor. Mail-on-mail dancing. Um, and that's when things start getting a little wild. So you want to you take it from here? Um, so according to Troy Perry, who was at the patch that night, he told me that there were two guys there who were talking. They were friends, I guess. And according to Troy, one of the guys, quote, patted the fanny of the other guy, similar to, I guess, like what a baseball player does to a, you know, teammate. He just slaps and, him on the butt real quick. Like Yeah, I mean, like, like he, I mean, Troy literally said patting him on the fanny. It wasn't sure. like a slap or a grope or a squeeze. Okay. And the cops saw that and rushed in and arrested both the guys for lewd conduct. Oh, God. And that was like, that literally was... All that happened was yeah. this pat on the fanny, and the cops freaked out. And these two individuals, Tony Valdez and Bill Hastings, were mm. the two individuals that were arrested that Correct, night right, right, by right. these undercover cops. Right. You know, with all this commotion, Lee finds out, right? So he goes onto the stage and explains what happened to all the rest of the bar patrons. You know, and the cops are looking on, and he tells the, the gay audience not to be intimidated by the tactics of straight society and to stand up for their rights. Mm. You know, so he goes on to say, quote, it's not against the law to be a homosexual and it's not a crime to be in a gay bar. He says, all we want is to be left alone in our own bars. And he urged everyone to band together to fight for their rights and to really put an end to that harassment. Mm. You know, and so he's getting the crowd really riled up because obviously he sees that this is, knows this is an injustice. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think it mirrors so much of what has been going on in like not just the patch and, you know, for the months that they had been open, but in just in every other gay bar all over. Yeah. I imagine it's so frustrating that you're trying to build something that is a safe space for you and your community. And at every turn, you're trying to play by the rules even. Like you're even entertaining some of these rules that are ridiculous. 
And even still, like, it's there is no safety afforded to you. Right. So after announcing all of this at the patch, um, he tells everybody, he comes up with a plan and says that the patch will furnish a bail bondsman and a lawyer for the two people who are arrested. And so he leaves for the police station, the LAPD police station, to try and get more information on the charge. And it turns out to be a lewd conduct charge, right? Like what we were talking about right. before, which is what the cops were constantly trying to get gay men for. Right. So he comes back with a wild idea and he comes back to the bar and says, does anybody here own a flower shop? And somebody actually did. Somebody in the bar that night owned a flower shop. Mm. And Lee tells him, go clean it out. I want to buy all of your flowers. Mm. Um, and so he invites everybody to go down to the station to try to get the two individuals who were arrested actually bailed out. And they come bearing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of flowers. Oh, my gosh. Do you want to talk about kind of what happened from there? Yeah, I mean, these people just come with all these bouquets, and I'm blanking the kind of flower that it is. The, the flowers are, are seen in pictures. Anyway, they're a famous flower. I mean, a recognizable flower, not roses or oh, anything like that. They show up by 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. the police station mm -hmm. with mums, daisies, carnations, and roses, but no pansies. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And the crowd automatically. <laughs> The crowd brought those. Anyway, they, they brought these bouquets and bouquets of flowers, and uh, I believe it's Lee that goes up to the desk sergeant and says, we're here to get our sisters out. And the desk sergeant is like, oh, who, what's the name of your sisters? And Lee says, Tony Valdez and Bill Hastings. And mm. the desk sergeant kind of like freaks out, like and calls for backup, concerned all these, you know, <laughs> gay people are here. And a bunch of flowers. Exactly. Having this knows flower what time. they'll do. Right. They called it this flower power protest. Mm. And... According to what I'd read, at least one officer, or maybe a couple, came up to see what this what was going on, and I guess they weren't concerned, and they kind of like shrugged their eyes and like and walked away, leaving mm. the desk sergeant to kind of figure this out. <laughs> they were like, "There's no problem here," yeah, yeah, which is kind of refreshing that the police would act sure. that way as opposed to bringing in you know a big cavalcade or whatnot. Yeah. So they they waited there and waited there, and I guess Bill and Tony weren't released until like five a.m. Yeah. And there were some published reports saying that the police actually held them longer just to cause more of a problem because. Because I guess there was a bondsman or an attorney who was there to get somebody else out, and they were processed very quickly and were released mm. fast. Mm. Um, but Bill and Tony, they had to wait, I mean, at least a couple hours, like I said, 5 a.m., mm. and then they were finally released. Mm. What I love about this story is one, I think it really illustrates, and I think a lot in organizing, like the power of like, very kind of mundane, like small items or like that kind of tactic of like, yeah. what happens when it's just like a group of 25 committed people showing up at 3 a.m. with a crap ton of flowers, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it really just sets you off guard. And I think sure. it really helps. It is perplexing while at the same time being like, we're not going anywhere, right? Yeah. And like, I mean, literally to be stonewalled there, right? Of like, we're going to drag our feet as long as possible while yeah. other people come and like are bailed out in a minute, right? I think sure. it speaks to the power of numbers, but also how... I think the adversity of people to get creative in like a really fucked up situation, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the, the courage thing they had to have also is considering what had happened with the Black Cat, you know, a little over a year previously, and just what the relationship was like between the gay community and the police department, you know, to have the courage to go down there and to wait there. I mean, something could have happened at any moment and, and they weren't sure. I mean, it may have looked kind of quiet and peaceful, but we know those situations can change rapidly. And there were a lot, I'm not sure exactly how many folks were there. Um, according to photos, there were, it looked like at least at least a couple dozen people. Mm -hmm. But still, that you doesn't mean know. that you're necessarily safe. I mean, absolutely, the yeah. They get right. a paddy wagon, yeah. Exactly, get the yeah. Black Mariah. And, mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah. that took a lot of courage, you know, to do that. I mean, and, and just stay there and to wait there. And so it's, it's really impressive. Yeah, I think one really cool thing that's about this story, I want to talk more about like 
the impact of it. But I think you mentioned just a few minutes ago, one of the individuals who was also there at the, the bar that night was a man named Troy Perry. Um, can you talk a little bit about who Troy was? Sure. So Troy Perry was there that night. And Troy Perry told me this story that he and Tony were friends. And I think it might have been that night, Tony was very upset, kind of distraught about being arrested. And and he felt that God was punishing him for being gay. And that's why he was arrested. Mm. And Troy said that story such just broke his heart and made him so angry because he didn't believe that God would punish someone like that for something like that, that it motivated him and influenced him to found the Metropolitan Community Church, which is was considered or is considered the first gay and lesbian church in the world. And mm-hmm. he started it in October of 68, mm-hmm. um, I believe in his home or apartment in Huntington Park. That's where their wow. first few meetings yeah. were. So there's a silver lining that came out of it, yeah. which that was pretty amazing. And I think it's super cool. Like MCC in the Valley is is still around in the San Fernando Valley. And there's still a very active ministry with a lot of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender communities. Mm. And they also are really key for a lot of the leather community out here Mm. in LA too. So, and constantly hosting not just leather events, but other LGBTQ events um, and being a safe space for people. And it's like, you know, it's, it's especially because I think spirituality and religion too is such a like you know a sensitive not sensitive topic but it's it's such a convoluted topic especially for lgbtq yeah i think for a lot of queer folks when we talk about the religion that our parents raised us in it it comes with a lot of baggage of like either direct or indirect like condemnation of our nature right you know things that we can't change about ourselves i mean in some ways the church has been as oppressive against the community as the as law enforcement has been right sure um i think the hollywood metropolitan community church mcc is still operational isn't it i believe so yeah Mm -hmm. that that was the one that he that he started and formed uh, initially i mean so yeah it's a pretty amazing story when he mentioned that yeah Yeah. i also think there is a search uh, among queer folks that for spirituality for something that is like totally still of that cloth but without the parts that are painful right right so you know after all of this, the two individuals were bailed out. And unfortunately, the existence of the patch didn't last much longer. Mm. Um, they were eventually evicted in December 19, 1968. So mm. their entire lifespan um, of the bar was only a few months. Oh, wow. Um, you Not know, even a full year, huh? Yeah, yeah. So Lee goes on to eventually open the patch two in Hollywood. And about 1969, Mm. don't know exactly how long it lasted, but it was at least there and in a a moment for existence. And it's really cool that even after the raid on the patch, several patrons, Lee included, who were really frustrated with the lack of momentum and political action around police entrapments, formed a group called Homophile Effort for Legal Protection, or HELP, in 1970. Wow. So HELP was an AAA-type service for gay men, gay and lesbian bars, and increasingly members of and bars associated with the leather community. So what they did was it was basically a bail service that included a 24-hour call line, bail service, and legal referrals. So the annual rate for individual help membership in 1971 was $15. Okay. So the benefits of membership included 24-hour free legal advice on any subject and immediate bail for any misdemeanor charges and or felony charges of oral copulation or sodomy. Wow. So, you know, a, a, and bail was required to be repaid by the individual to help at a rate of 10% per week interest-free. 
Gotcha. You know, so and if an individual member was arrested in a member establishment, then the bail was provided for free. Gotcha. Um, when they first started doing these services, Help had six member establishments. And by the beginning of the next year, bar and tavern membership had grown to include 50 different establishments across the region, wow. um, including a lot of different organizational affiliates. That's huge. I never heard of them. Yeah. And I think it's super cool to also lift up that, like, you know, we, all of these, we talked earlier at the top of the show, right? Like, none of the, some of these laws didn't change until the 70s. Yeah, yeah. That didn't stop people from early on being like, hey, these laws need to change. But in the meantime, we're going to create our own kind these of like mutual caps. aid yeah, efforts, yeah, yeah. our own legal efforts that are run by the community, like sustained by that too. Like, these models of like, hey, you put money in, like, it really represents these, like, these, like, I think about like some of these, like, giving circles, right? Where you mm-hmm. invest money in, and then when you you're in need, it is there for you and it's there to then replenish and like help the, the other than the folks who come after too. That's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's super cool. <laughs> super dope. So it's also, you know, amazing that despite the ongoing, you know, tactics of the police that people didn't stop going to bars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of these establishments that were raided constantly, you don't see, at least I don't read about closing, going out of business. People can still continue to go, continue to go. Like there was this kind of indefatigableness in terms of yeah. just not giving up and still going and having that need for community and having the need yeah. for a safe space. It's and, just like, just where not, else, you know, where else can I go to feel right. like I'm not going to, right. like I'm safe or like I'm yeah. even, it could be myself. Or meet yeah. Friend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, pretty resilient. Mm. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of other history within the gay liberation movement that happened, you know, after the 19, early 1970s up mm-hmm. until this point. Um, you know, Lee ended up, um, you know, living out the rest of his life, you know, both local area and in the, in the greater LA area and ended up uh, dying in 2013, passing away at the age of 75. Mm. Um, when was the last time you had interviewed him? God, I'm, geez, I don't know. Maybe 10 years previous to that. Mm. In the early 2000s, I don't know for how many years, but at least in the early 2000s, he would have his own parade entry in the Long Beach Pride Parade. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. And all the pictures that I've seen... And when I personally saw him, he was always in a wheelchair, but he was in a, and he would always would wear these glittering outfits, either like star spangled banner type outfits and he'd yeah. be in his motorized wheelchair as a float entry <laughs> going down ocean, ocean Boulevard and, uh, you know, having a flag. And he was, he was a character. I mean, he had this kind of really uh, loud kind of outrageous type laugh when you saw him, it kind of fit his personality and, and how he smiled. And he was all, I remember when I had talked with him a couple, interviewed him a couple of times, once was before the long. Beach Pride Parade. I don't mean like the day of, but, you know, weeks preceding. He was always um, kind of passionate and kind of angry about young people not being involved in activism. He goes, got to get these mm. young people off their asses and do stuff and they need to get out there and fight for their rights. And mm. I think he lived through all these exper- all these situations where he was out there fighting for stuff. And, you know, if it wasn't for somebody like Lee Glaze doing what he did, you know, on his shoulders we stand. Yeah. So um, I think of that any, any queer person that's over a certain age of like, oh, you've seen the AIDS crisis. You've yeah. right. witnessed right. a lot. You know, you've, yeah. you've had... You've had trauma that is like I I just will won't understand yeah in, in my own way you know like, and a lot of times these folks are, are kind of live in the shadows. So earlier when we were talking about this, Philip, you mentioned when Lee had passed, how the coroner had to claim his ashes for a little bit. Right. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, just when I had when I found that he had passed away, uh, I think that the coroner had his ashes for I think it was like for a couple of weeks because nobody claimed them, mm. and I just thought. That just I thought it was just, was just so sad mm. that 
I guess there was nobody. I don't know if they, he didn't have any friends or people didn't know that he had. I think he went to a nursing home where he passed away. He was at a, a living, a senior living facility, mm. and then went to this nursing home where he passed away. So, was there nobody knew that he had gone there? Yeah. I, I, mm. Unclear about that. But when um, eventually, I can't remember if they knew him from the patch, but someone who knew him, someone who lived in San Pedro, actually came and um, and got his ashes. And I and I think when Lee's name was included on the Harvey Milk wall mm. here in Long Beach, that I believe his ashes were brought to the, if memory serves me correctly, wow. there was an urn that was brought. Mm. Um, so he kind of was like, like like there in spirit and such. Mm. But mm. yeah, at, at the end, yeah, I I, I don't know. It, it was, wow. it seemed there weren't too many people in his life. And, yeah. and that seemed, I, I visited him a couple of times at the senior living facility and he, his memory on things was kind of going a little bit, I could tell. And I went with a friend who who knew him. And and then when we left, the friend just said, wow, his memory's like really going. And I was like, really? Cause I I mean, I knew him, but didn't know him as yeah. well as this mm. as his friend did. In fact, this friend who knew him, a gentleman here in Long Beach, David Hensley, who's a kind of gay historian, wealth of knowledge, great individual, went to school with Lee mm. in Paramount. Mm. And David told me the story, I think it was high school. They were in the same class together. And I believe Lee was, according to David, was, you know, bullied mercilessly. I guess Lee always had a kind of a, a flamboyant personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the teacher, I think somebody was picking on Lee and Lee kind of defended himself. And the teacher got angry and told Lee to like leave the room. And I guess Lee is like, I am out of here. And I did like some kind of sassation, ah! sashay, mm-hmm. snapping his fingers and, and like walked out of the room. And David said that's the last he was ever in school and he dropped out. Wow. Whoa. He's okay. like, he like left, he left school, wow. dropped out of school. And that was in Paramount. So, so yeah, we went up there. David just had mentioned how his memory yeah. was going. And I was like... Damn, it was the ending seemed sad. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I have I have a daddy in Seattle and mm. the last time we had met, um, he was telling me about how he was very involved in ACT UP in Seattle. And, you know, he at the time, like literally, I think right as I was with him, I think like a week before, one of his really good friends had passed away who he knew through the ACT UP movement. Mm. And he talked about how, you know, just like his family was not, he didn't have any good relationship with his family. He had very few friends because a lot of his close friends had died in, you know, from AIDS and how like much work, how emotionally taxing it was on my daddy to be go through and have to like do all of the end of life stuff, right? And like help pack up his apartment and everything like that. And I really just like, I remember talking to him a lot about it and just made me realize and put in perspective the importance of like chosen family too. Yeah. And I think those relationships that you have when it's like not all of us will have the 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 privilege or have that family, right? Especially mm-hmm. in, you know, this, or if you don't have children, right? Yeah. In those like your kind of final years. And it's, you know, it's, it's it's sad to think about, but it's also just like really highlights and brings home so much of like how much like the the queer community is lost because of AIDS, you know, because yeah. of all of these these fights, right? And just how how hard, how just yeah, AIDS, oof. AIDS, police brutality, murders, anything, especially the trans community now in yeah. this day and age is suffering yeah. the brunt of it. I remember Lee was also very generous, and I can't remember if it was when I met him, interviewed him here in Long Beach or up at the up at the, the senior living facility. But we were talking about the patch. I just happened to randomly just say, "This is one of the first times I'd interviewed him. I hadn't written about him before, or whatever." And I said, "Gosh, do you have any like any pictures from then?" Just thinking, mm. and he went to this folder, and he had these 
eight and a half by 11 photos from all the pictures and the stories that I use are those are, he gave me those photos and he had like copies of, I remember when he gave me, I was like thinking of, and he would have like two or three, it wasn't like this was only set, but I was, he's like, here, have these. And I was like, holy shit. I'm like, wow. I mean, they were like, you know, they were photos from, from the thing. He's like, you need these back? He's like, no, it's fine. Just go ahead and keep them. I was like, oh my God. Wow. So, I mean, he was giving me a part of history, a part from the oral history, telling the story. You know, he was giving me a part by having these photographs that were, you know, taken the night of the, night of the event. So, um. Do you have that online anywhere? (laughs) Those photos, I mean, all all the photos, and all the stories that I've written about Lee and the Patch, those photos you see of the harbor station, Mm. the folks holding the flowers, Mm. those are all pictures that he gave me. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. so. It's, anyway, and you know, it's why nine months the patch was open, right? How long and was Studio months, Fifty Four open? Like two years, maybe. Uh that's a good question. <laughs> it's it not short. Not, it was not that long. Yeah, it's so not as long like, as you think. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes clubs, I don't know, they yeah. have an impact for real. For <laughs> they real, they burn like white fire, and then they just yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they just burn up with all the quaaludes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, to, you know, to wrap up and kind of bring it home, like, I think that really underscores, you know, nine months, just the impact that the patch had in history, that Lee had in history, and I think set the stage for then, you know, what eventually became the Stonewall Riots and just like all of the history afterwards. But I think I really take away just this importance of queer spaces, right? Yeah. And now I feel like because LGBTQ just rights in general and the community is, is it's not, you know, now we're facing this backlash at, or at this point, right, yeah. with this rise in fascism and, and all these other things going yeah. on but like you know where where it's more accepted and so you have places that are queer spaces that are not just bars right right but at the same time like you know the idea of a gathering space a safe space a place for people to come together and actually mm-hmm. like celebrate and explore their own sexuality and what makes us marginalized in the first place right mm-hmm. it's just ever so important yeah definitely yeah wow Anything else, you want to anything else you guys want to add or anything? I think it's, we had, I think previously talked about this, talking about, you know, queer spaces. There's kind of this, I don't know if it's happening nationwide, but I definitely see it happening up in like in Los Angeles and, and West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. There's kind of this hijacking in some of our spaces by people in the heterosexual community kind of coming um, in, yeah. kind of like, you know, and when I say like hijacking, taking over, they want to like change the music policy and change the atmosphere. And there's a real important thing they don't seem to realize or they don't want to because they think they're privileged is that this is our space. This is our party. This is our mm-hmm. event. You're welcome to be here. We love you're going to be here, but it's ours. Yeah. And to come in and think you can take it over or turn it into your own and erase us. I just think that's just, that's just like not going to happen. Yeah, you know, there's this sense that we're we're, we're making these ad- advancements, but they seem to think that with that advancement, they can then kind of come in and take over our space because oh, you don't need it anymore. No, sorry, it's a party. I mean, would you go to somebody's house and rearrange their furniture because you wanted to? That's pretty mm. rude. You wouldn't do it. I mean, some mm. folks might, but oh, so much work. Yeah, well, that. <laughs> honestly, and so, some people need it. You know. <laughs> So if anyway. any of this, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank us, you, Philip. Really appreciate you sure. taking the time. Um, it was fun. Yeah, it was always That's a good, good time. Not yeah. really, but okay. We- <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> um, I, if this moves you at all, like I think there's some really great uh, examples in here, like what, what uh, Help did and how they mm-hmm. organized to protect folks in the queer community, like, you know, get involved with any other local groups. There's so many different queer groups in Long Beach. Um, Aren't I'm you a part, part of, of some of them? Yeah, I'm yeah. part of uh, Queers Obliterating White Supremacy, Cows, Cows for short. Cows, baby. You know, we're all about doing mutual aid work, um, how self-defense, community defense as well, mm. um, and direct action organizing. So, but, you know, find 
explain that these groups exist. Like they're all over Instagram. Um, yeah. And, you know, I find your networks, find your chosen family, find your queer community. Yeah. Um, because we still, we got a long way to go. We're halfway home and a long way to go. Yeah. So, And you can find QVoiceNews.com and on all social media platforms. Yeah. Oh, cool, yeah. Cool. Subscribe, follow. Yeah, subscribe to our newsletter. Yeah, yeah. I like the newsletter. Donations. I like getting that in my <laughs> inbox. Yeah. Check you it get out. get one tomorrow. Yay. Oh, oh, there you oh, go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us at LB Cheese Man on Instagram and Long Beach Cheese Man on Twitter. If you have any questions, comments, or follow-ups yourself, you can message us at those socials or at lbcheeseman at gmail.com. Long Beach Cheese Man is brought to you in collaboration with Forth.org, a home for Long Beach grassroots art and media. If you're interested in supporting watchdog journalism imas, you can donate to Forth via Patreon at patreon.com slash F-O-R-T-H. E-L-B-C. <laughs> I don't know why I struggle with that. <laughs> I've been Daniel Spear. And I've been James Swazo. Stay queer and stay radical. Bye. Bye-bye-bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye